Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Jay-Z Microphones. For over a decade, Jay-Z Microphones has combined all the critical elements of world-class microphone manufacturing, patented capsule technology, precision electronics, and innovative industrial design. Jay-Z Microphones' deep understanding of technology is informed by their open-minded, innovative approach. Trust us, sound can be glorious. Recording. For more info, please go to jzmike.com. And now your host, Al Levy. I want to take a second to tell you about something that I am very excited about, and it's the URM Summit. Once a year, we hold an event where hundreds of producers from all over the world come together for four days of networking, workshops, seminars, and hanging out. This industry is all about relationships, and think about it. What could you gain from getting to personally know your peers from all over the world who have the same goals as you, the same struggles as you, and who can help inspire you, motivate you, as well as become potential professional collaborators? This year's summit is on November 9th through 11th at the Las Vegas Westin, which is just one block off of the Strip, and it's going to be even bigger and better than ever. We're anticipating even more producers, plus a lineup of amazing guests like Jens Bogren, Chris Crummett, Machine, Forrester Savell, Michael Agian, Dave Otero, Billy Decker, Chris Adler, Mary Zimmer, Mike Mowry, Jesse Cannon, Blasco, Jason Leckberg, Jesco Lohan, and more. And of course, our musical guest, the one and only Ark Spire. So get your summit tickets now at urmsummit.com and we will see you in Vegas. One of the cool things about doing Nail the Mix is getting to go to cool studios. Well, cool is selling it short. Getting to go to great studios and meeting great people, great producers, great musicians, and just great contributors to metal, music, and production. And... This is no exception. I was just in Sweden to do Now the Mix with Frederick Nordstrom in Gothenburg, but he's not the only guy in Gothenburg. As you may know, there's lots of talent out there. And so I decided to take advantage of the situation and hang out and podcast with whoever else I could. Because this took place in July, most of the Swedes were on their, quote, holiday, what we Americans know as vacation. Most of them take between five to six weeks per year. It's a it's a normal, normal thing, and they go off in the summer. Kind of amazing. Very, very jealous. But Jacob Herman happened to be there, and this guy just has it going on. He's the owner of a place called Top Floor Studios. You should look it up. It's in this theater from 1850. I don't know how he managed to make that work, but it's super, super sick. And his monitoring system is kind of like the Death Star. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. And the guy's got some credits. He's worked with artists such as Anthrax, Machine Head, Amaranth, Jamie Josta, Body Count, and many, many more. And he regularly collaborates with great producers such as Nelly, Jens Bogren, Jacob Hansen, Dewey Madsen, and even Forrester Savell. Without further ado... I introduce you, Mr. Jacob Herman. Welcome, by the way, to to the podcast. But thank well, you for well, having me. Welcome to me. Yeah, we, I should, I should say welcome awesome to studio. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we, I mean, 
we could sit here talking about people that don't understand gain staging or noise floors. But first, let's just talk about your sick studio. You uh, like it? I do, I do. It's from 1850. The studio's not. <laughs> I was about to say, the, uh, the, is the SSL from 50? Yeah, right. 1850? It's, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's a prehistoric metal. Yeah. No, it's uh, the theater is from 1852, I think. And when they built it, it was called the New Theater. And now it's called the Big Theater. And when they built it, they got shit for putting it outside the city center. And now this is the city center. I was about to say, are like, we in the city center? Yeah, I could put a spot in my floor and write center of Gothenburg, and I would be pretty accurate. Gothenburg is kind of a legendary place in, in metal. Kind yeah, of, it is. Uh, I don't know if you guys appreciate it. Like, I'm just saying this. Maybe you can answer it for me. But for all of us outside of Gothenburg, it's look. It's kind of like, kind of like a mecca almost. Yeah. Do you guys like appreciate that and know that? Of course we do because okay. we we get business from it. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the bands appreciate it. Because it it's a it's good for them. We appreciate it because, and when I say we, I say producers. Because you know, all of us in or most of us in Gothenburg, we're we're friends and colleagues. I went out mm-hmm. with, um, you know, a friend last night, or I met him out, and we hung out, and we're colleagues, and we both do the same thing. So, it's a very strong community, but it's also kind of weird because Gothenburg is so small. I've noticed because. Uh Whenever this comes out, I'm here doing another mix with Frederick Nordstrom, so I'm just happy to be here. And Jacob and I decided to to do this podcast now. But like, I noticed that I'm staying in a whole different city mm. than uh, than where Studio Fredman is. Yeah, it's like seven minutes away. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, what do you mean this is a different city? Yeah, no, it's weird. Do you know what different city means? Or to, to us, it's not weird, but this is, this is Sweden's second biggest city. Mm-hmm. And when people come here to visit or to whatever, they're like, this is it? Yeah, this is it. And they think it's going to be something different. And I'm like, but what, do you, what did you expect? Um, it's just, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with all these, you know, the the Gothenburg sound bands or whatever. It's just a bunch of childhood friends who happened to revolutionize the metal sound. And, but they're, I mean, that, that's what they are. They're, they're childhood friends. Look at their early days. The singer for Dark Tranquility used to sing in In Flames and Jesper in In Flames was on Hammerfall's first album, I even think like as a drummer, or I might be mistaken, but it doesn't That's matter. It's just like a bunch of people who did a thing that became huge. That's kind of what the Seattle situation was like too. Right. Um, a lot of those people from the bands that became the Seattle Sound bands played in each other's bands, knew each other, Way back into the eighties, yeah, and but that's always how yeah. it is, isn't it? Like that's how you, I think that's so. how you come up with a sound because it's interbreeding between between the bands for a couple of years, and then a new thing accumulates from that, and you know comes out to the world at the sa- at the same time. And if it's good enough, people pick up on it. Ah, oh, it's a new sound. It's crazy good, and then it's just wow, they're legends, and to them it's like yeah, it's you know we're. 
We're just doing what we've always done. Yeah. And they're now still, you're and they're still doing it. it. You can walk into a bar here and see people from three bands and they're like, we're not even talking music. We're talking boxing or video gaming or whatever, really. Beer, usually. So wh- one thing that I've always thought was lame, I've never agreed with this when I've seen it, is when people have that whole like support the scene kind of mentality because I always felt like the good scenes never had to say that because the music was so good that people wanted to go pay attention to it. Um, I never liked the idea of kind of being pressured into supporting a shitty scene. Um, I feel like if if the bands around were really good, people would just naturally gravitate towards them. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like another place where there's that going on is Montreal. For instance, Montreal has a... But there is like technical death metal. Like, or proggy kind of... Yeah. Proggy kind of extreme stuff, but it's like very technical. I understand what you're Mm. saying. And I I mean, I can see the point in the whole support the scene, blaha. But what I think is... in the right place. Yeah, but to me it's more more important to... I I, I don't really like when, when someone goes, you know, you can't listen to that. Well, why can't I? It's music. It's mm-hmm. for everyone. And you should be able to listen to whatever the hell you want. Just yeah. just as I can. I mean, I, I shouldn't be able to make anyone upset if I, you know, I work with a metal album and go home and listen to Britney Spears. That's fine. And in the same way, why shouldn't someone who is usually listening to, you know, modern pop music find a black metal band and go, oh, I really like this. And then they get shit for like, ah, you're not, you know, true fan or you're not part of the scene. Like, but it's it doesn't have to be part of the scene. You don't have to be always part of the scene. It's it's music. And that's fine. I found that, but I've never I've never been part of any scenes. So I don't know. <laughs> neither have I. Um, I've never really wanted to be. I've just been a fan of music. Mm. But I felt like growing up, uh, there used to be a lot more of that. To where, if. Uh, if the band didn't play exactly in a certain style, then you weren't true enough for X scene um, or to be in a certain type of crowd. But with the, you just said everyone here are childhood friends. Not uh, everyone, but. Not everyone, not everyone, but like by and large, like the bands and the producers that make up the Gothenburg scene are, you know. There's like degrees of separation, but people kind of know each other. Um, they did. My point with that was that they didn't know what they were doing when they were doing it. Just like you know, any time a scene has a new scene has mm-hmm. emerged, the the people involved doesn't know what they're doing when they're doing. It's after that they look back and go, oh, you know, that was the start of grunge, or wow, that's when. Well, it was kind of you know, like the rest happened. of the world. The, that's when the rest of the world tells you right. what you were doing. Right. But that right there invalidates the idea of support the scene. Because it's almost True. like if there's a real scene happening, if it's like you said, which I actually do agree with, that it's just people were making stuff that they were inspired to make at a certain point in time mm. with a certain group of people and then cross-pollinating each other's projects. Mm. Same thing happened in the Massachusetts scene with the that spawned the hardcore and the metalcore stuff in like the early 2000s. 
Like lots of those people played in each other's bands, and then Killswitch got big, and then the other bands got big. Yeah. Shadows Fall got big, and um, Unearth got big, and just a bunch of those bands got big. Uh, I think that uh, then other people told them that they were doing a certain a certain something. For it to be organic, I'd think that you don't have to uh, you don't have to try to support it or create it or uh, encourage people to back it. It will ju- it'll take care of itself if it's worth taking care of. Mm. I don't know. I I feel like uh, the reason that I would never support a scene that I was around was because there was no scene to support. Yeah. So. As much as people would try, like they'd organize these shows and try to get these local bands to play together, it didn't matter because there weren't enough good ones to get people interested. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's one of these, the market speaks for itself. Like in Atlanta, we had Mastodon, which is awesome band. Mm. Uh, but we really didn't have much else. And so it's, I mean, there were a couple cool bands here and there, but not enough, not enough on that level. If there were like three other bands as good as Mastodon and they all played in each other's bands, then maybe we would have had an Atlanta scene and then people would have gone and supported it because they loved the music and they were proud to be a part of it. But if it's just people saying support the scene and then they go to these, they try to get people to go to these shows, it's not going to work. Yeah, uh, The music has to be good and people need to be organically drawn to it. And that's why it bothers me. I feel like people's heart is in the right place because they just want these bands to do well and they want to be a part of a thriving community of musicians. But if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. So if you really want to be a part of that, maybe move to where that shit's happening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you should always... I get what you're saying. You can't just start a band and, and say support the scene and that's... You know, that's how you get yeah. ahead. And you can't just put together a show with a bunch of shitty bands and say support and the say scene. support the scene. Yeah. Like because there's nothing to support. Yeah. Like the there's only so many times that you can uh go to the well of friends and family. Yeah. Uh, there comes a point where it has to be good enough for people to make the decision to go watch these bands and buy their stuff independent of whether or not they know them personally. Absolutely. I think. And that's, I mean, to come back to what you asked earlier, or we talked about earlier, like the, the Gothenburg being a mecca and everything. I mean, we see that on shows here when a, a band from here does a show here, you know, on home turf. Mm-hmm. And you look in the audience and there's people from 10 countries. Like there's a couple of guys from Japan and couple of guys from the States and all Mm -hmm. over Europe and everything. It is pretty cool. It is pretty cool for a small city to breed something like that. I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest name by far, and I've had Japanese fans outside my door Mm-hmm. Just you know, is this top floor studios? Yeah, you want to come in for a coffee and they shit their pants, but it's just because the coffee is that strong. <laughs> <laughs> it is studio coffee. Yeah, um, that's pretty impressive. But it's kind of weird. It's the same thing. I recorded a, a, an album in in um, New Orleans two years mm-hmm. ago, almost two years ago, with a band called Lullwater uh, from Atlanta. Uh, sorry, from Athens, Georgia, outside of close enough. Yeah, close enough. 
and I'm outside a bar, and a guy comes up and asks me for a lighter, and it's 2 a.m., and he's, you know, let's say we're both intoxicated enough, mm-hmm. but not crazy. And he hears I have an accent, and he asks where I'm from. I don't even say Gothenburg, I say Sweden. And he just goes crazy. Like, oh, dude, I love Gothenburg metal. And he, he, he doesn't look like a metalhead at all. He, he looks like a random dude. And he starts name-dropping so many bands. Mm-hmm. And I don't say anything because I, it's, it's just fun what, like, hearing him name-drop people from here because it's you know friends and clients. And it was so random being on a back street in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But then he starts telling me, like, this, there's this new band you have to listen to. Their album came out three weeks ago, and they're called Syrah. And I start laughing because I, I mean, I did that album oh, together with awesome. Jacob Hansen and Roberto Laghi, and it had only been out for three weeks. And mm-hmm. there's still a dude in New Orleans who's like a diehard fan, and that's pretty weird. I mean, it's no, it's not weird, but it's fun. It's a nice thing, but it's also you asked like, it, do you appreciate it or yeah. how is it to you? Yeah, it's pretty cool in that way. Because there's not that many people in Gothenburg. It's not that big of a city. I've always tried to understand what it is that got in the water. In Sweden? Yeah, Yeah. musically speaking. Because we're we're the third biggest music export country in the world, and we have 10 million people. Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I'm not trying to, like, kiss your guys' ass or anything like that. It's just fascinates me like when there's a part of the world that something they're really good at something in that part of the world like mm. i always try to figure out what well, what's going on why like why is this part of the world so good at math or something or like why does great metal in this genre or these genres why is so much of it just come out of this place yeah but it's because it's not like it's depending on on <laughs> geographic like you can understand why a lot of good wine comes from france spain and italy compared to yes northern europe but it, i mean it's not like we need grapes or anything else to make music so i i don't know it, i think it's part of it is um our renowned social security thing. Like, we don't have to struggle every mm-hmm. day to, to just have a decent life. We can, when you say, like, hey, I want to do this, or I'm working with this, you know, normal job, but I also want to have a band, that's fine. You get a band together, you get a rehearsal space that's, um, you know, funded by the city, so it's 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 affordable. The rent is super cheap for the band, but it's they also exist. Yeah. And there's bands all over. Like their rehearsal spaces are all over. When I had bands, it wasn't it wasn't that hard to get a rehearsal space. So then I talked to friends in uh, the states, for instance, and they say, you know, yeah, we we have to rehearse. We have a gig. We haven't rehearsed in two months, and we have to drive our gear to the bass player's house and just hope he doesn't get you know hated by the neighbors. And it's hard. Yeah, there's this thing called tax-funded ma- venues for kids and or you know teenagers and a bunch of stuff like that. Do you think supporting it, music? There's this idea that uh, that there's a hierarchy of needs basically, and that. If the basics aren't taken care of, like survival, um, 
I mean, I'm simplifying the concept here, but as it pertains to kind of what you just said, if you don't have the basics taken care of and feel secure in them, like mm. shelter, food, water, all mm. that stuff, then you're the part of your brain, that extra energy uh, that you would use for creative endeavors, you're just not going to... You're not going to focus on of that. Of course. How can you focus? Like, yeah, sure, the whole myth about the starving artists. And in a way, yeah, I totally support that because you create great songs when you feel like shit. But it's also hard to, you know, hone your craft or practice or whatever when you have to focus on, on just having a life, like pay your bills or getting food. Mm-hmm. Um I, th- I think that's what it... So you think there, that the relative comfort of... or Not comfort, but like the uh, safety net. Yeah. That having that safety net allows people to pursue the dream Absolutely. more. Absolutely. It's also, I mean, it, it reflects in anything. Um, I just got an apartment and it's, a, it's, a, it's my lease. And when you get an apartment in Sweden and it's your lease, it's, it, it's your lease forever. And when you get a lease in the states, it's <laughs> it's reevaluated yearly sometimes, yeah. and you have a really hard time. You know, it's, and it's the hard. Rent, and the rent is hiked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's it's just it's hard. Mm-hmm. And when life is hard, I'm so impressed, honestly, by American colleagues and bands and just people in general, to be honest, because I'm, I'm there all the time and I see the struggle and I, you know, we talk about America's it. America's the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, uh, you have to Because if fight. you fall through the cracks, you're getting up is not that easy. No. And you don't have a safety net at all. I've even had things happen to me in the States and, you know, people go, oh no, you know, how, how are you going to afford that? It's, it's all good. I have... You know, I have insurance, mm-hmm. and then I get the bill, and I come home, and I give it to my insurance company, and they pay it. I don't even have to look at it. And a couple of weeks ago or months ago, I um, had an accident myself, and I I cracked my head like right next to my eyebrow, and I had to go to surgery. Like nothing crazy, but just a few stitches. And in the states, Ouch. in the middle of the night, that would have because I've seen that happen in the states with friends, and I know how. Uh, expensive it is and here it's like 20 bucks that's kind so, of amazing of course so you know my assistant or for, former assistant KJ um, who stopped being my assistant and he's now on the road with bands as tech uh, he is born in um, Phoenix, Arizona mm-hmm. and you know he tells me stories from his childhood with him and his friends what, what happened when when you had an accident or whatever and it's nothing it's not even comparable so yeah to i mean we can we can move on to another topic but yeah i think that's one of the big reasons why we have so many bands and producers and studios and not only in music but in everything given that we're a small country i'm not saying that other countries don't have this because of course they do i'm just saying that we have it and that's i think it's part of why People feel that, yeah, I can do this. I can start a band, or I can, I can, you know, mess around with my studio, and then that leads to something because they can put that time into their hobby, and eventually the hobby becomes the work. Yeah. Well, I think that you, what the part that's interesting to me about it is, uh, even if you don't live here in Sweden, mm. uh, thinking about how to set up uh, scenarios in your life to 
mimic what it is that makes it conducive for great creations. I also think that the lack of distractions hmm. is part of it, uh, meaning that since it's dark, there's a whole <laughs> part of the year where it's just like black outside sure, um, and cold. Yeah, but there are other parts in the world where that's the same. Yeah, however, it's kind of like you combine all these things. So like you combine that there's music education in the schools mm -hmm. along with the safety net, along mm. with the with the darkness. Actually, a friend of mine in the States said that he his his theory he added to this theory that since we're taught English from so such an early age, mm -hmm. we start singing along with songs that we like at a very early age. We learn how to, you know, pronounce it English for singing mm -hmm. and sounding you know, pretty decent. And he thought that that was a big thing with the Swedish, like when he listens to Swedish bands, like, yeah, the, the grammar is great and the lyrics are great and the, you know, you don't sound... Foreign. Right. Yeah. But then when, when he hears the in, an interview with the same band, they, say, they, they, they sound super foreign. So I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. That's even my friend speculating, not me. But of course there are many factors. The whole getting dark outside thing, the whole, you know, social security thing, and I'm sure there are many other things that I haven't even thought about, but... Well, does the dark thing, is that real? Because I've thought about it. I mean, I know that, yes, the dark is real. There is a part of the year... Not now, because it's no. summer. Now it's the other way around. Yeah, but no, I know that that actually does happen, but what I'm wondering is, it during that time of year, is it really, like, like we think it is where it's pretty you crazy. You don't really want to do anything, so why yeah. not make music? Yes. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this is Gothenburg. This is southern Sweden. Mm -hmm. Go up north and it's insane. So stay indoors and make shit. Yeah, but they're crazy. They, they go out in all kinds of weather. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's also a theory that I've heard many times and I'm sure there's way to it. So you said that it's actually good for business. Just the the Gothenburg community community that because worldwide people I'm guessing people come to people here just because of the I guess the history. Sure, yeah, but it's also it's also um, I mean I can't speak for Sweden versus the rest of the world, but I know that some people that I've talked to and that come from other cities and other countries that you know that do the same thing as i do that they say it's a, it's a it's a cutthroat environment or it's a very mm -hmm. com, you know it's competitive yeah and here it's very at least in gothenburg it's very like i said we most of us know each other um the, the guy doing service on my desk runs another studio in in the city called nakswing uh, old classic studio but it's we all know each other, but that also means we um, we can work together and it's fun. I always yeah. work with people. I work with Roberto Laghi a lot. We just finished the the Rest Fist album like two days ago with a mastering. But we've done so many things together. Same thing with Jacob Hansen. I mean, yeah, I know he's in Denmark, but he's part of it. Close enough. Yeah, and we've done so many albums together. and We, we love working together. And that's a nice thing. 
And I actually think that I work better in a way when I have to work with someone because I want them to be super happy when they get the files. I mm -hmm. want them to just, you know, if let's say I'm producing an album and Jacob is the two Jacobs, right? Jacob Hansen is mixing it. And one of the first albums we did together, he said, oh, I love your stuff because I can just raise the faders and start mixing. It's all it, it, it all, yeah, it's all, it all sounds like it's in place and it, it leans against each other in a very nice way, the, tra mm -hmm. the tracks, and he can just go instead of like, oh, okay, let's see here and go into that whole thing. But that's also because I, I love working with people and I think that you should, especially today, you should be able to work with people uh, on productions because it's also fun because you learn from each other and it's it's a it's a great way to work and it's a sense of yeah we are a community it's not good for me if another studio in Gothenburg go belly up it's not good for anyone it's good for everyone if everyone thrives and the whole I agree. there you go support the scene but in in another kind of way well yeah but that's a scene that supports itself. Yeah, but we it's, have to I mean we yeah. have to support each other, but we also give work to each other because we are it's a, it's a nice sense of community where in, in, in you know, you call someone and like, "Hey, can I borrow this thing?" and also I have a, a I have a thing for you or I have I'm talking to this, to this band and we should do it together. But it's it's organic though. That I guess is what I was getting at earlier. There's an organic quality to it because you would want to work with Jacob Hansen because he's fucking great. So there's that too. Like, um, if he wasn't, it, you may not want to work with him just because he's a nice guy. That wouldn't be enough. Like, and I know that you guys have been working with uh, Robin Lejean. Like, he's a URM student hero. Uh, but he wouldn't be moving up if he wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's, I feel like, that's kind of what I was getting at was saying that the support the scene, there has to be an organic side to it where it has to be voluntary. Of course. Like and I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, desirable. I wouldn't work with someone if I thought it was going to be worse. Yeah, if, exactly. You know, compared to doing it myself. But that's the point is that the, those on a certain, I mean, okay, like this. I had a band, uh, I produced their album. They're called Nox Vorago. They're super cool. And, they did an album with me. I produced it from start to finish. It was a, you know, extreme process. And then we talked mixing. And they had a really good budget for the mixing. And they said, you know, when, when, when do you want to mix it? And I, think, I said, I don't think I'm going to mix it. I think you should mix with Roberto because this is so his, up his alley. Like, I think he would make a great job with his mix. And their reaction at first was like, yeah, but then, you know, then he gets the money. And I said, yeah, but we all get the best result. And that's, mm -hmm. and I loved mixing that with Roberto. I mean, he mixed it and I went there now and then to just see that my whole vision of the album didn't get lost, but it, it didn't. It got 10 times better. Good job, Roberto. Yeah, good job, Roberto. I mean, that's, that's his. He's amazing. He's he's a great. He's taught me so much. Um, about so it's, but that's that's also a good thing. You you teach each other. He's he's older than me. He's done done this for, you know, many years more than I. But we still show each other. Like every time we do a session, and we call each other pretty often. We're good friends. But it's also in those conversations. Hey, I tried a thing today. Oh yeah, tell me. And yeah, I tried to do like this and this. Oh shit, I have to try that. 
and you come back and like, yeah, I, and now I did this with it, and you learn from each other instead of being separate islands, mm-hmm. just in our own little worlds, not evolving, not learning, not having fun. I mean, working together with other people is the most fun ever. I agree. It, interestingly enough, one thing that Frederick kept saying over the two days and now the mix was about how important it was for him to have fun with yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Or it's not worth it to him. What I wish that more people understood, I try to push this to the URM students all the time, is that um, you should not look at this like competition because mm. it's not like companies you know, mm. that are competing for market share. Mm. I mean, yes, there's a finite number of bands, but there's more than enough for everyone to go around. And like you said, even if he gets the money for that for that one project, he gets that money for the mix. If he's the right guy for it and your name is on it, everybody wins. Of course. Every, that's, so you're looking at the bigger picture, which is that making something great... Um, I mean, it's not like you would have done a bad job on the mix, but if he's the right guy for the mix, mm. then you're getting the optimal result and everybody wins. Right. And it's the same thing with, with Jacob Hansen. Like, we, we give each other work all the time. Mm-hmm. He can tell me, like, hey, I really want you to record this band because I think that would be awesome. And I say, hey, I really want you to mix this thing because I think it would be great. And I even had an album with, I think it was 12 songs. And... Me and my uh, assistant, or then assistant, uh, Christopher Borg, who's also, I think, a URM guy. Actually, There's a lot of you guys here. Yeah, all of you. No, we mixed um, four of them, and Hansen mixed four of them, and then we had Nolly mix four of them, because mm-hmm. we've also done some things together. And that was just because that, that was right for the album, and that's how you should do it. You, yep. Instead of thinking, yeah, I should. No, we should. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you have to do it all the time. I'm just saying that if you, if you, if you have a certain plan for an album, I mean, of course I've done albums like that band in, in the States, uh, in New Orleans. Then I knew I, I have to do this my way. And I had a co-producer in um, Justin Davis, who's from Seattle, who's a great dude. And we had super fun with it, but I had my vision for it mm-hmm. and when mixing as well. And that one I had to mix myself. I couldn't let anyone mix it. But with other productions, it's it's the other way around. I can't mix it. I shouldn't mix this. We should make this the best album we can, and that means we should work with these people mm-hmm. or these people. Who should master it? The right one, not the cheap one. Who should mix it? The right one, not the cheap one, or the even the you know that guy who 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 is nice to us. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, one thing that I'm curious about is how did you go about getting those relationships going to where someone like Jacob Hansen would trust you? Like, how do you recommend people establish that? Or and I guess. Specifically, too, like someone like Robin, for instance, who's now starting to get into that position where people mm. are starting to trust him. Because mm. a few years ago, he didn't know anybody. Of course. Yeah, I, I've wa- I've watched him go from like a kid that didn't know right. shit, yeah. had no contacts, and now I find out he's working with you. He's working with Jacob Hansen. Mm. I know he's working with some people. 
in the states, like yeah, is getting around. And uh, one thing that Nick uh, Nick from URM, we invited him to come watch Nail the Mix, and I was like, I don't care if he's here the whole time. I'd be totally okay with that. Um, and normally we kind of, they're kind of closed sessions. Mm. Because people that do nail the mix aren't excited about being on camera in the first place, right. um, so I have to make them feel comfortable. And then having mm. extra people there can get in the way. But I was thinking, yeah, it really wouldn't bother me. And so that's kind of when we tell people that your social skills need to be really good. You need to be able to be hangoutable for like long periods of time. I didn't even question whether or not I was okay with uh, having him come by mm. and hang out. And I realized, and I was like, that's probably part of what's... But he's super nice. Yeah, and he, exactly. And he's, he, he's, he's, he's a pro at the social skill set. Yeah. I'm not. I mean... So I, how I, do you make it work? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess I, I have to be good at something, right? No, I'm, I'm, I mean, Sure. I'm a nice dude, but not the first two days. Actually, I mean, two I, hours, more, I, I, I actually took it down now, so it's more like the first four hours. But so uh, many I just of, met you. You've been pretty cool. I mean, so many. Yeah, but so many of my friends. I guess I was younger then, but they always told me, like, "Dude, I love you. You're the best. You're 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 my friend, and you know, I couldn't have a better friend." But go I fuck hated yourself. you at first. I <laughs> fucking hated you. You know, I really, you know, I couldn't stand you. But I don't know. It's yeah, the social side is a big part of it, and I think that that's also everyone's different, and some bands. They want that, or they need that, and some band, bands actually, you know, actively don't want that. Mm -hmm. They don't want any, you know. Let's let's not let's not even talk. Let's just work. And other bands are like on the whole other side of the spectrum. Like, yeah, but we need, you know, YouTube time. We need to bond. We need to get in the groove. We mm -hmm. need to get in the zone. We need to find our dynamic and most of them are somewhere in the middle so of course it's it's um important but i also know that many bands you know like how i am and maybe other bands don't they like more like how someone else is but we're also not kids like we're grown-ups yeah we can it, we don't i mean it's it's like doing anything else any other kind of work you can be a being a pro is also about that being a pro is not only making it sound good being a pro can be about vacuuming your studio or making sure the coffee machine doesn't clog up or being a nice dude or you know creating a good atmosphere yeah but i mean in your case uh where are these relationships coming from with the people that you said that you work with where you have this uh, mm. reciprocal type of relationship where you guys trust each other, where it's like, let me just uh, give this guy the mix. Yeah. And I'm not worried that this guy's going to like try to poach my clients and then like steal them or something like people worry about that stuff back home for me yeah sure people worry about that here too at to some degree but 
not all of us. We always encourage people to try to make relationships with people because relationships are everything. Without relationships, you don't have shit. You can have the best skills in the world. And if you don't have people who want to work with you, uh, not just enjoy what you do, but want to work with you, you really don't have shit. And so, you know, having relationships like the one with Roberto or Hansen, whatever, I mean, those are a big deal uh, yeah, for me. But, that, but that's what, what Robin is doing now Yeah, on, on his end. He's getting to know people and that's going to help him along the way. How did how did that happen for you with Robin? No, I'm just no, kidding. no. Well, I, I am curious about Robin, but like uh, Robin how, how was did... actually Hansen who because I needed um, I needed someone to edit some stuff because I was swamped, mm-hmm. and my assistant was on his way out, and I had to have someone. I I could have done it myself, but I didn't really feel like pulling shift after shift and Hansen said talk to Robin because I've used him on some stuff and he's mm-hmm. he's good here you know befriend him on Facebook and do it and we did and then we became friends and I've I've had him work on I think two or three things now editing stuff um and I mean that's how that's how you do without trying to give him a big ego or anything. <laughs> What is it that he's doing? He doesn't have a big ego. He's he a doesn't. super nice guy. He doesn't, but it's a good example for other people in URM because they already know that he's won URM more than anybody else. Mm. Like so he's obviously got some skills. Mm. Um but what is it that makes you be like, "Okay, cool. I'll give this guy some work." Okay, I'll give this guy some work again because As you probably know, there's a lot of people who try to get work who either are really tough to to communicate with, or their yeah. skills are just not worth talking to. Well, about. like, what what is it that makes it work for you? You got to want it, mm-hmm. and by that I don't mean that I'm some, you know. High and mighty, giving workout like ah, if you deserve it, you can have it. That's no, not what got, I mean. No, but you've got a yeah, yeah. But a what I mean situation. is that if you want it and you're ready to, because this is this is a hard business to get into. But if you if you want it and you prove that you want it, that means that you really want it and you're reliable mm-hmm. for that, and you are not only ready to do the work, but you're you're pumped for it. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I'm pumped for sitting here and edit these drums. It wasn't drums because I edit those myself, but it, it you know. And whatever he, it is. Yeah. And he actually helped me out um a couple of weeks ago with um another band called Spartan from the Netherlands. And we needed to we were in, in mixing with Hansen again. And we needed some editing done And I just couldn't because I was finishing up the raised fist thing, and it was just, yeah, I'll I'll connect you with Robin, and you guys take it from there. So I wasn't even involved. It was small things, but it still needed to be done. And they talked to him, or I put a group together on Messenger, and mm-hmm. it all happened. And I wasn't part of it, and he was just like, yeah, it went super good, they're they're great and he, they were like, yeah, it was so effortless and nice and again, 
it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, at that point, it's a, it's a shitty job. If you look at it from the outside, you, you just jump into a session you don't know anything about, you edit up some stuff and that's done. But he, he wants it. He, he's, he, he was so like, yeah, let's do it. See, you know, when I was at that stage in my career, I didn't see it as shitty. No, but, but you can't. Yeah, I, you can't I, ever. I didn't. Like, but that, but that's the same thing now. Like I, I still, when I sit down behind a drum kit, mm-hmm. I still feel that first. Oh man, this is gonna be great. And then, yeah, sure, everyone loves setting a sound for the drums. And then suddenly you're in day five, and you're like, yeah, now we have to change the heads and make them sound just like the ones we just wore out, or for the fourth time this song. I have to go in and tune up the snare just so little because we're 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 because that lug closest to the drummer keeps slipping. Right, and we we're. I mean, I usually don't have that problem because I have some some tricks to prevent that from happening. But when you're detuning the snare, um, and you want that sound, mm-hmm. then you it, it's like working with an amp that's about to die. And you, you just have to go in and like, yeah, I'm just going to turn that tuning screw just a little. Mm-hmm. And you still have to love it. You still have to go, it's so worth it. And I love doing this. And that's, if you have that, if you have that passion for what you do, then you have so much, sure, you hate it, but you also love it. You always love it. Even if you're sitting there and you're just like, oh God, I hate this <laughs> with some project. A, a part of you has to love it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it because this is not something you do. Like you, you, you do it because you want to. Well, I mean, there's an aspect of it that's work, and so work is not always going to be hundred percent fun no. the whole time, and it's not supposed to be. There's... But you know, Zlatan, the big Swedish soccer player. Yeah, yeah, he now plays in LA Galaxy, I think. Yeah, he does. Uh, he hates um, running exercises. He hates. Um, running. You got to do it. You got to do it. But he loves playing soccer, mm-hmm. right? So he gets on that treadmill every day if it's if he can't run outside or whatever. And he has to do it because that's part of him playing soccer and he loves playing soccer. So that's just what it is. I don't love vacuuming my studio, but... Your studio is uh, immaculate, by the way. I know you <laughs> said that it was kind of messy, but like... It is messy because I like to have the room totally. I like I, I like to put the stuff away in the in the. You're a man storage. after my own heart because this is not messy. Mm. This just looks like in use or in the middle of a setup or something. Uh, yeah, it kind of is. That's why it's like how, I, Th- this when is you not go from messy. one setup to the next, and it, the next setup is one day. Why should you put anything away, right? Dude, this is not messy. So, like, if this is your idea of messy, I'd love to work here because you, you should see how my living conditions are people ask me if if people ask me if I'm psychotic <laughs> because uh, because I want it to look like a hotel room yeah like when you first walk in right like where I like that's how I want to live I want it to be just fucking clean mm-hmm. and fucking organized mm-hmm. and I like that in recording studios too so if this is your definition of messy then right on All I right. just gave him a thumbs up but uh so I know that, like... Thank you, by the way. Uh, no, I'm just being honest. When I first got gigs doing the editing stuff and the mix prep stuff for people above me, like, 
it was a lot of work, sometimes like 18 hours straight replacing snares on an album that dude decided the snare sample had to change and is due tomorrow. Mm. We didn't have the the same capabilities then as you know we do now, and so it was just have to transient for 16, 18 hours straight, and I was okay. Better to not work with samples, then you don't have that problem. No, <laughs> I, I get it, but if you're working for somebody else, you got to do what. Yeah. You got to do yeah. things their no, I'm way. I'm just kidding, but yeah, I get I get what you mean. Um, gotta. I mean, if you're working for a producer, you're working for the producer. It's not your place to tell him. But you still wanted it. Yes, that's it, the thing. It, and I was totally fine to sit on that couch for those eighteen hours straight mm. and make it happen. Though there did come a point where I was, I did feel like I had edited enough in my life to yeah. where it's time to move on. Yeah, but. Uh, but I never felt like I was above it or anything like that. I just, my brain stopped, like, engaging. Mm. I guess that, you know, that part of your brain, that uh, the light bulb mm. that turns on when you're doing something you're really into? Yeah. I just couldn't get it to turn on anymore, If to put it. I get it. Yeah, but I, what I'm... I, st- I still like editing. Well, there you go. Some people do. But how... Or I like the result. Because I know what I want, like with some with certain instruments, I'm very like I know what I want it to sound like. It's not it's not just putting it okay one sixteen and go to grid. It, there's a musicality to it, and sometimes absolutely, I'm I'm looking forward to the result. So yeah, editing is so and so, but it's always so satisfying when you're done with it and it sounds like you wanted it. So in in the, in the same same thing, you gotta want it and you gotta want the absolutely. result. So, so I guess. What you're saying is when you see that, you recognize that in somebody else, it's attractive to yeah. You, like you, maybe that's why we said that we were totally cool to have him around for the nail the mix sessions because sure. we we get that vibe and yeah, we like that vibe. I actually talked to um, Kenny Aronoff about it. you know Kenny Aronoff. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't know him. Yeah, but yeah. I know but he, to you, to you who is, are listening and hi by the way and don't know he's like. The world's most in-demand session drummer yes, ever. He's uh, he's insane, motherfucking badass. And he, I met him, I think ten years ago, first time. And when I met him, I think he had six or seven albums on Billboard 30 at the same time. Sounds th- about right. That's pretty crazy. All different genres, and you know. And I asked him, like, why, why, just why. And he said, I'm not, I'm, I'm good. I'm more than good. I'm good. Like, I'm really good. But so are many drummers. I'm not the fastest one, but I'm, I'm, I, can, I can be fast. I'm not flashy, but I can be flashy. But it, I, I don't, like, I'm not that guy. I'm not the, 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 wow, he's such a, you know, his skill set is so crazy. But he knows many different styles. But he also said that when he walks into um, a session, Everyone goes, oh, Kenny's here. Awesome. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And that's that has a certain weight to it. There's a lot of weight to it. Right. But he also is really badass. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's being it, oh, modest. Yeah. No, no. It's he. It, it, that's him being modest. But he's. I think he put up put out um, autobiography recently called Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll. I I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not swearing by it, but. No, he's 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 an amazing drummer, and he's adaptable, and he plays with energy. And I saw him just a couple of weeks ago with uh, John Fogarty, 
who's 74, by the way. I know. That was crazy, and it was really good. But Kenny drives that band, you know, perfectly with energy, and that's his style. But mm-hmm. he, that whole social skill set thing is also part of his toolkit. Yeah. You know? It, how does an introvert make it work? Because so many are introverts. Uh, you said that you don't have, like, you said that when you were younger, you were more of a monster. But I'm not like, a monster at all. No, I was a monster, but, but I'm I was just like using an, that word. An annoying. Just my friends have said that the first time or times they met me, they couldn't stand me. I was a monster when I was younger, <laughs> but that was when I was yeah. younger. I'm I'm pretty okay. Well, I'm, how did I'm you decent. go developing these relationships? Because these relationships, like like I was saying earlier, like these are. I mean, you. I'm sure you obviously have your own clients, mm. but also these relationships are you know, crucial. They're crucial, both for having friends, but also for getting work. So how did you get yourself to the point where these people who are amazing, because they are amazing, trust you and like you enough to give you work and to associate their name with you? Yeah, and I mean... Because there was a point where that wasn't the case, right? Of course, of course. We all start at zero. Um... I mean, nowadays it's easier when I meet someone or even work with someone I've never met. Like, I've never met Nolly, but mm-hmm. we've worked together. But it's easier now because they, so, uh, like, they can look me up and they see, yeah. oh, he, you know, he, he's obviously, you know, working with the same things I do. So mm-hmm. it's easier now to, to well, yeah. work with someone else. But I mean 10 years ago right. or longer. 10 or 15 or more like 15. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't mean now. Oh, okay, I see. Well, I started playing drums when I was 15. I started playing piano when I was five, but when I was 15, I started playing drums. And long story short, I, I was so fascinated by how they sounded as much as playing them. So that's what I had to, you know, focus on. I went to the practice space hours earlier just to practice tuning. Because mm-hmm. how do I, why, why does it make, why does it sound like this on this album? And, not on this album, you know. So that was me at 15. And I just obsessed about drum sounds. And then I started, like, when I was in my 20s and was building my own studio. At the same time, I got gigs as drum tech in studios. So I was up in uh, Studio Buhus, um, that is now no more, but legendary studio north of Gothenburg. And I was working with the producer um, Tobias or Tobias uh, Lindell, uh, who is the guy behind Lindell Audio. Yeah. Uh, he now lives in Thailand. He took me in as drum tech because he needed a drum tech, someone who can really tune drums the for a specific needs sound. Drum tech. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. So he took me in as drum tech to get specific sounds and you know, miking and and and. A certain skill set, and in that way, I got to know him, and I got work through him. So it was pretty funny. Like at the same time that I was building my own studio, working with demo bands when I was in my mid twenties, I was also going to Buhus and other studios to him and other places. But I mean, I worked with bands like Europe, mm-hmm. and the next day I was recording a demo band in my own space. So that's pretty. It's a big contrast. Very. Um, 
so I I always like for years I was that guy. I was that drum guy that you just called like hey we need drums to sound good in the studio. Okay, I'll be there. Just going to take a quick break and I promise it's going to be quick, but it's important. I need to remind you guys, so please forgive me. This episode is brought to you by the URM Summit. Four days of networking, workshops, seminars, and hanging out with your URM friends and dozens of the industry's best pros. It's November 8th through 11 at the Las Vegas Westin, and tickets are available right now at urmsummit.com. All right, back to the episode. I have a guy like that. He saved, his name's Matt Brown. He's saved my ass so many times. Yeah. I got to a point where I didn't want to record an album without having him there yeah. just because and it's more it's more common in the states way more common it's still not common enough but the thing is once you work with a good studio drum tech and you know just how much of a difference it makes you'll never not you'll never want to go without it again cuz like I'm okay at tuning. Like I can get by if I need to, hmm. but why would I want to if there's someone else who is, like you said, you obsessed over it? Like right, I never obsessed over it. And there's I learned a big, how. there's a big difference in in like if you're if you're decent at it or you you know you're okay at it, but there's a big difference in getting a good sound and getting the right sound. Because having, Absolutely. The, having a good sound just means that the drums sound good. But that doesn't have to mean that they sound right for that production. That means that you're just tuning until it sounds good and that's fine. And then you realize after, ah, it doesn't sound right. Instead of actually hearing in your head before or talking it through with the producer or in the situation I am now, I talk with the band about it. Like, we are going for this sound. And then you start working on the drums tuning it and miking it in the way or and choosing the the right gear and you know yeah. that's why I have 30 snare drums because I need that and to choose what I hear in my head or what me and the band have talked about so that's the difference between good and right if I just wanted it in tune I would do it but what I want is when I'm working with the drum tech I want to be able to say something like I need all the toms to sound like little kick drums. Mm. And for them to understand, okay, so it's got to have a short sustain. It's got to have, um, it's got to be kind of scooped. Like they need to understand what I mean. Mm. They need to understand how it would punch through a wall Mm. of guitars. You can only only have that skill set if you have obsessed about it. Yes, exactly. Uh, To understand how do I get this sound, not just like, oh, we... I hope I get that sound, you know? Yeah. And then with the same guy next week, uh, I could say these need to sound like thunder and be super long. Right. Uh, like this and combined with this or whatever. But that's why it's so yeah. important to talk to bands about, you know, two different bands or two different people in the same band even can 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 use the same word to describe two very different sounds mm-hmm. and they just say, we, we just want it fat. That's the that's the in, <laughs> at least in Sweden or in the Swedish language the word fat or fett as we say uh is like you know that that sound I want I want it to sound fat 
okay, cool. And then you start working. And I, I very quickly started asking, like, okay, what's fat to you? Because in the same band, two people saying it should, should sound fat or, or, or cool or whatever, like whatever word they use, you don't know what that is. You just know what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And if you have two very different sounds, like if you have a low-pitched drum but with no bottom, that's fat in a way. Mm-hmm. But if you have a high-pitched drum with a lot of bottom, that's like comparing Metallic Black Album to Rosanna with Toto, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's, it's fat to two different people, and they will use the word fat to describe it. Warm so, is another one of those right. words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it warm. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. Right, and that's why you should talk about it. You always have to talk mm-hmm. about what, like, okay, let's analyze. Yeah, that, you know? that's how... It was working with Matt is uh, we'd get to the bottom of it, and uh, and yeah. So being able to share that sort of vision with somebody who obsessed over that, I, I feel the same way with guitar techs like luthiers. Like mm. I can set up a guitar well enough, but if I need it actually set up like perfectly mm. for the player and for what we're doing, why would I do it when there's somebody else who yeah. devoted their life yeah. to it? That's what I love about this location, or that's one of the many things I love about this location, that I have a little guitar store right up the street with a guy who's great at setting up guitars, and he does the same thing. Like, but back to you, he asks, what mm-hmm. is this for? What sound are you looking for? What are we doing? You're working with him, and it's great. And you, like, he, the same he's thing... He's not just intonating it. Right. He's He's, you know, he's... That's his thing. Mm-hmm. That's his obsession. And that's his passion. So you made yourself useful, basically. Yeah. To put yeah, yeah, yeah. long story short. Yeah, sorry for that little... No, it's track. okay. Tangent, um, tangents are what's great about yeah. podcasts. Yeah, it is. Um, no, I, I yeah, I, I was that drum dude. I was that drum guy, that crazy guy with all the drums. I came to the studios with... You know, a bunch of snare drums and you different heads. You do have heads. a shitload of snares. Yeah, and there are some good ones too. It's it's. I have thirty snares. I have three drum kits, and I have like thirty cymbals. And mm-hmm. I, in the basement storage, I have like I don't know two hundred drum heads. So that's how it's, it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But I'm the same with everything. Like I, I love amps, so now I'm stocking up on amps. Mm-hmm. I love mics, so I have a bunch of mics. But I mean. Um yeah, it's just I was I was that dude. I came to the studio with a bunch of different stuff and what are we doing? Let's do it. And it was it was great and that got me more work in as a drunk tech, but it also got me more work in my studio and then that gave me like it's a good circle. It's a snowball effect. Yeah. And then you get to know more people um in different ways. Um and at the same time, it's pretty funny because there's a there's a sweet there's a magazine in Sweden that's like the Swedish version of tape op or sound on sound, not close enough as cool or good, but like it's it's our, and it's been around for years and years, and they needed um, someone to to write about drums, and I applied for that when I was twenty, yeah, just turned twenty two. So I was reviewing drums and writing about drums. Like, can you imagine what a life? 
It was a side. It was a side gig. I wrote but, one thing a month at most, but I I got. So it was your whole life. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that that's all I did. Mm-hmm. I was single and obsessing about drums for many years. That's that's what I did. And you know, I had stuff sent to me. I tried it. I wrote reviews on it, but I also, you know, I went really in depth. And then they asked if I wanted to interview someone. And yeah, sure. Like a drummer. Yeah, like a drummer. Okay. And I started interviewing drummers. And then they really liked what I did. So I started getting other interviews with musicians. And I mean, I'm 25 and I'm sitting down with Geddy Lee in Rush for mm-hmm. hours talking about bass sounds, talking about producing albums, talking about what it's like in the studio, talking about what's important in a studio. You know, a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting down with Lenny Kravitz talking about how he records drums. That was pretty, that was a pretty nice. What about his sick jackets? Right. <laughs> he was a cool dude. I'm sure he was. Um, a lot of charisma. No, and, and then they asked if I wanted to uh, interview producers. Mm-hmm. So I had like phone interviews with people in the States. I interviewed producers here in Sweden. And that's how I uh, got to know Roberto. Because he was doing an album with Inflames. And I was there to talk, not to Inflames, but to him about mm-hmm. the recording. And... You know, we of course we know we knew who the other guy was. I was, you know, that drum dude, like I said, and I had been there a couple of times at that studio. And you know, of course, I knew of him, and we had met just a little. But now we actually sat down and talked, and you know, and at the same time, I was doing the side gig, interviewing drummers and other musicians and producers. I was um, building my own studio. Yeah, and so network. Yeah, so that networking was also a good thing. I got to know musicians and producers, and that gave me some more. And they, you know, they're like, "Yeah, you're that dude, the drum dude." Yeah, okay, I'll call you when I need a, a drum tech. You know, it's Great. it's it's interesting because uh, having been a guy in a band who did press, hmm. um, I always felt like the people that were interviewing me were wasting an opportunity. Because they would just read the press release and just ask the same questions as everybody else. I was like, right. well, you're wasting, mm. not not saying that I'm like the opportunity, mm. but I was figuring if you're doing this with me, you're probably doing this with everybody. Oh, yeah. If you're, and you're wasting these opportunities mm. to get to know all these people that are doing what you love to talk about. Um Maybe you want to be a musician. Well, you're wasting these opportunities. And uh, sounds to me like, you know, if you got Getty Lee to talk to you for multiple hours. It was pretty funny because I was supposed yeah. to have 20 minutes. And we're in his dressing room and the tour manager keeps coming in, you know, five more minutes. Mm-hmm. And he just goes like, no, 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 make, make it like, we'll, we'll yeah, go. Yeah, because it's so fucking he, he rare. Just, yeah, he, he prolongs it, and because he, he really, he's so into it. We're sitting there talking what we both love, and then we go out, and he's like, oh, here's the rest of the band, you have to meet, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a drummer, and when I started playing, it was, Rush was, you know, Rush is Rush. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't debate that, even. So, 
of, you know, this is Alex. Yeah, I know who you are. This is, you know, this is Neil. Yeah, I know who you are too. And I was, I was just about to say like, hey, thank you. This was nice. And they're like, hey, do you want to come to the sound check? Yeah. So that was that was a cool part of my life. But it, and I, I could talk about that for a long time. But my point is that that helped me, um, in what I do now because I had the opportunity to talk to people who did what I aspired to do and they shared with me and after I mean I met Roberto and we started talking after the interview and and I started emailing him like hey I saw a photo you did this miking on the snare drum yeah 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 it's because this and this and this oh super cool you know I'm like I said I'm in my mid-20s by that time now I'm 39 and he and I are working together so that that whole getting to know people without being an annoying stalker just just showing that yeah i also want to be part of this not because i want to meet famous people not because i want to say that i'm a producer all of that shit i want to do this for the same reason you do that we have this passion this is a calling that we're doing we're not doing it because you know it's cool because it's not that cool but we're doing it because we are also driven by passion, just like musicians, and people should realize that. And if you're not doing it for the right reasons, then you should just not do it. But I think that that whole, you know, showing that I'm also in this for for the same reason you are, that's when people go, oh, cool, you know, come come by the studio, or we should hang well, out. They can or, sniff it like a dog right, or something. like. Right, you and I are the yeah. same, that's the... And even if we're super different if we're, as people or how we work or whatever. Or at different levels in your career. Sure, I, that's fine. With Getty Lee, because sh- at that point he was already a multimillionaire fucking legend. He didn't have to talk to you like that, but I know that he was probably starved for talking to people right. that he could connect right. with about his stuff. Cause he'd and been, that's what's so funny, because that, that magazine I was writing for, I mean weren't that big wasn't that big but the the record labels and the the pr people or whatever these people that handle this they started to because sweden is a small country they started to um see that oh it's that guy coming like you know he, he he's the guy who did iron maiden and they loved it mm-hmm. he's doing rush let's put him last because they know that they're doing 10 interviews in a day and they started putting me last because they know that the musicians are going, you know, we need more time. Yeah, but you have these five interviews. Okay, can we do it later? No, I have to go back to Gothenburg. Shit. So they they started putting me last because they knew the bands want, or, or whoever it was wanted to talk for a much longer time. And I once met, and this was like a long time ago, but I met uh, Foo Fighters. And I come in to their... Uh, dressing room. Heroes. Huh? Heroes. For you? Well, Dave Grohl's a hero. Great. Now you're talking. And we could talk about that for a long-ass time. Oh, yeah. he's. We could talk about him in the studio for a long-ass time. There's actually a video of him recording drums for Juliet Lewis, uh, who I talked to about this, because she, you know, she loves drums and she loves his drumming. And he was playing on her album. And it's a YouTube video of him playing in the studio mm-hmm. and everyone who plays drums or everyone who works in studios 
or with this thing should watch that video. Just well, Google it, YouTube. My question is, who doesn't love his drumming? Right. Or what he does. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting. Like, who doesn't love his right. drumming? And now there's got to be some asshole. And now you are on people like he sucks. Well, I don't give a I, shit. He's, I don't. I don't think so. He's a total legend. But I walk into their dressing room and I have a drum shirt on, and you know, the drummer, Taylor Hawkins, go like, "Dude, are you a drummer?" Yes. And they all go like, "Yes, finally." And they told me that the guy before, who was from a huge magazine, asked them questions like, "How do you like Sweden?" And they're like, yeah, but we just saw an airport, a cab, a backstage, a stage, and then a cab, and then a hotel, and then a cab, and then an airport. And then, and then they start asking, like, do you know about this Swedish artist? And they're like, no, that I'm sorry, we so don't. so infuriating. It's not that hard it's, to actually it, get to know someone it's so if you're talking the same thing. It's so infuriating because it means that the person doesn't respect you right. enough to like engage you. And I, I just remember this interview I did once. And again, I don't think that I'm one of these guys like Dave Grohl or whatever, but I did this interview once where I had just recorded Black Dahlia Murder Drums in Detroit, which is not a very cool city. Sorry. It's just not. It's dangerous and dirty. And uh, I did an interview with this this lady who wanted to talk to me about Detroit. It's like all she would do is talk to about Detroit. So what do you think of Detroit? What do you think of Detroit's music scene? What did you think of what sets Detroit apart? It's like I'm not from fucking Detroit. Yeah. Why are you talking to me about Detroit? Like yeah. why are you wasting your time and my time? And I was yeah. here for a week to record some drums. Mm. And then I left. I stared into a screen. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I got driven from Brian's house to the studio to Brian's house to the studio right. to the airport. Right. That's it. Like right. why are why are we talking for an hour about Detroit and what I think of the future of Detroit's music scene and like all this stuff. And it's just like why? Why? And so I can only imagine for people like Dave Grohl who are bombarded by people who want their time to have to sit there and be like, so what do you think of Sweden? Right. Well, Sweden's cool. Sweden's cool. People are cool here. You're like, it's, he seems like a really nice guy, so maybe not infuriating, but to me that shit's infuriating. Right. So to get the chance to talk to somebody that actually is on their level as a person. I don't even have to be on their level. Like, no, I mean like as, when I, as a person. Yeah, yeah. But when I started talking to Roberta, not, not at his level but I was, I was so I mean, interested wavelength. in like, what are you doing? I mean, wavelength. Oh, I see it. What do you mean? I yeah. don't mean like level in career. I mean, on the same wavelength. Right. Yeah. Like on a human level. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah, but that's what everyone wants. Yeah, totally. That's just what it is. But another th another thing that wasn't like when you know when you're asking why what what you need to do when you want to get into this thing i think it's important to know that you're getting into it you're not in it like you aren't like this i you i haven't never crossed the threat of the threshold yet i never called myself a producer until i was Mm -hmm. And I see so many people calling themselves producers, and I'm like, but you're not a producer. Yeah, but I recorded this album. Well, yeah, with your band. 
You're mm-hmm. in the band. You're the songwriter. You're not a producer for like you're not hired by bands to produce. If you are, great. Then you're a producer, and, and you should be a producer, and you should you should be proud of that. And I encourage people to be that. But if you're like if I'm the drum tech on an album, that was a long time I was, but or a long time ago. But if I if that's what I am, that's what I am, and I should be proud of that. If I am the engineer on an album or a producer on an album or just mixing an album or whatever it is just mastering an album or whatever that's what you are in that situation <laughs> and that's what you should be proud of I, i'm laughing because uh i agree with you so much it uh i feel that way about the word entrepreneur uh, i was afraid to call myself one for the longest time because i know so many people who are fake we call them entrepreneurs like they just want that title. Like they want to post a picture of themselves at the beach mm. and hashtag entrepreneur right. life. And it's like they don't have a business. Like they want to, but they're not. And and so like it takes people who are real entrepreneurs who started something and it's successful and they work their fucking asses off and mm. years go by and it's still working. It make it like it takes away from the the meaning of the word. And it took like five years. Yoram's about to turn five. It took until very recently to where I was like, I think I can call myself this and feel right. good and feel good about right. it because it's real. And when you do, yeah. you feel so much better instead of like, you Cause, know, yeah, because it's, it's a so, real thing. It's so often like, hey, meet Jacob. You know, you're at a party or you're out bar hopping or whatever. You have to meet Jacob. He also has a studio. Oh, cool. You also have a studio. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he shows me and it's his bedroom. And he goes, I'm also a producer. Okay, what w- what have you done? Like, no, I I, I you know I, I record. Okay, what like what what do you do? No, I just I haven't you know I haven't done anything with it, and I've just gone for for a year. But I am a producer with a studio. No, but if you are, or if you if you are on that level, and then you work yourself to where you are a producer then I'm so in support of what you do. And then I will be the first one to high-five you. So I think what's important about that, because some people might interpret that as being snobby, but it's not. What it, It's self-awareness is super important because the opposite of self-awareness, I think, is self-delusion. And mm. if you're delusional about where you're at, you're going to have a real hard time Moving forward, so if you talked about that with with Susan, right? Yeah, yeah. So very you, interesting. I, I think about it a lot because uh, I struggle because, like I said, I struggled with labeling myself as that because there's so many people who are label themselves as entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and it like it's kind of embarrassing because I don't want to see myself as one of those the fake types. So I think if you label yourself as something you're not, like producer that's not a producer yet you're giving yourself a false positive which means that you're tricking yourself into thinking you're further along than you are which means that you're already going to feel like the work you already did a lot of the work that you didn't do which means that you're going to do less work which means that you're going to advance more slowly and not and maybe not get your goals achieved so you need to be very, very honest, I think, and very straightforward with yourself. If you're not there yet, you're not there yet. And it doesn't mean you're a shitty person. It just means you're not there yet. It doesn't mean that you're bad either. No. You, you can be great. Yeah. You just have to do some, some work. I mean, you can be the best engineer ever, 
but if if like you have you have to do it. Well, yeah, there needs to be some stuff that happened in the real world. Yeah, uh, to to qualify for the title, right. I think. Yeah, but since it's a title that it's not like officially given, like you graduate Navy SEAL school and now you're a Navy SEAL or something, mm. or graduate the police academy and now you're a police officer or get your um, you know graduate medical school or whatever. Um, you know, this is something that really only you can honestly say what you are. And so it's that much more important to be super honest with yourself because there's no, there's no like external um, certification system for it. But the more brutal you are, the easier it's, I think it's going to be to move forward because you can see where you have to go. And I agree, it doesn't, it's not a value judgment. It doesn't mean you're bad or a, less of a person or anything like that. Because no. there was a time when you weren't a producer yet either. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when you didn't know shit. Yeah. And that's, that. I mean, we, this, this world that we're in, this weird music thing, it's like a guild. Yep. You, you go somewhere, you work with someone... You learn the trade, you find your niche or you find your thing, what you do, and um, and that you know that's how you become good at it, or that's how you. That's why it's so important to to work with others, especially like when you start, mm -hmm. because if you're if you're good about it and you're you're showing that yeah I, I I'm an asset, I'm not your competition or like you asked before like do you think that people think that oh they're gonna steal my clients if if he mixes the album then it's gonna go like yeah you should come to me next time yeah maybe they do but it could happen sure sure it could but that's just yeah and that's super shitty but I mean if the band feels that oh he should do it I've had that happen And then, who, who hasn't? Yeah, and then, but then the producer says, "Hey, Jacob, do you wanna do you wanna be on the album with me? Because they're you know they're we're we're doing it in at my place next time. Yeah, that would be fun. Let's do it. Great. And you know, if it does happen, also, so two things I want to key in on: be an asset. Um, I think that that's the the secret to everything is be an asset. There, I get so many emails like, hey, I just finished, or I, I, I'm in audio school and I want to come intern with you. And and then they just say what they're getting out of it. Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> Those yeah, are but the funniest. I, you know, uh, great for you. <laughs> I save the best ones because they're so funny. But sometimes I give talks about this stuff and I'll like, I mean, I'll, I'll black out the person's name, but I'll uh, I'll read these to um, because those always make me laugh because mm. it's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Uh, yeah, they'll tell me all about themselves and their goals. And the thing is, nobody gives a fuck about your goals. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, I hate to say it, but nobody gives a fuck. Um, yeah. I don't. Uh, I mean, I. it's weird because I, I do want to see students of URM succeed. But if someone is to hit me up for work and they're just telling me their goals, I immediately don't give a fuck. Yeah. And I don't want to talk to them yeah. anymore. 
Like, I want to hear about what they are going to bring to the table. Right. Um, but it's funny when someone says, hey, we should work together because th this is what I get out of it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's so cool. What about, you know? That's sick, dude. Yeah. And some people say, uh, I'm super good at... Um, Uh, experimenting with sounds and I'm like yeah because that's why bands pay me to get me and my studio so my assistant can fuck around with their <laughs> like no it doesn't work like that um, yeah, it's weird so what's an email that you would respond to Whew, I will work my ass off and be the best assistant you've ever had and you'll have fun I'll walk your dog I'm sorry it's not here right now Um, I'm pissed about that. Yeah, I know. It's me and my ex are doing the every other month thing, so it's um, it's it's her month. If you had been here a week from now, he would have been here. He has Japanese fans, by the way. <laughs> They've sent fan art and videos. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and I believe in that studio dog. Um, no, but that's that. You know, I will I will make your life easier in the studio while I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And I will be an asset and maybe a friend. My 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 last assistant, KJ, great guy. Um, he is now guitar teching with Evergrey and some other bands live, Syra and Nightlight Orchestra, etc. Um, he told me he was here recording with the band. That's how I got to know him. And he told me I'm moving. Like here. he was in the band. Yeah. Okay. And he said I'm moving to Gothenburg because I'm going to be your assistant. And I'm like, yeah, you may, yeah, maybe you're not. Yeah, you weirdo. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he's like, but I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll be the best assistant ever. And I said, yeah, sure, move here. I can't guarantee anything, but we'll try it for a week or two. And he stayed for a year and a half. Same thing with the guy before him, Christopher, who's a great dude and great mixer, uh, mixing engineer. And he, you know, he he wanted in. And I said, sure, finally. I said, sure, let's try. Finally, after after how yeah. much? Uh, a bunch. But I said, yeah, let's try a week or two. So what's the and difference? And then I just prolonged it because he was right. I loved it. What's the difference between, because that could go any way. Like, I'm going to move here and be your assistant. It's like, all right. For a day. And then, yeah, no, <laughs> and but then you're, I mean, yeah. it's like, all right, you fucking stalker, punisher, weirdo. What the fuck you mean? You're gonna move here and be. It yeah. could be like that, sure. Or it could be like, cool. Um, yeah. What's the difference? The look in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the, you have to look for the crazy. Yeah. Now it's, the the crazy is a real thing. Mm, I think it's. I think we're back to why 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 you do this. Like it's the same thing. Why do you want to be in a band? Do you want to be in a band so you can walk around the bars in your city or town? Just saying, yeah, I'm that guy in that band. Oh, cool, he's in a band. Yeah, I'm in a band. I stay on stage and twirl my hair and play guitar. But you don't really play anywhere. Yeah, but I'm in a band. You know, Are you in a band because you want to be a guy that's in a band? Or are you in a band because you're driven by a passion to play music? Mm -hmm. are, are, are you recording because it's a cool thing? Are you, are you aspiring to be a producer because it's a cool thing? Or you can meet celebrities or say that you work with cool shit? Or are you in it because, you know, it's 
I'm in it because I have to, not because I want to. There, mm-hmm. There's many times I wish I didn't want to, but I, but I, you know. It is what it is. It's a calling. It's like yeah. being a priest who doesn't, like, yeah, I heard the call from God and I hate the guy for it. Mm-hmm. That's I do this because I have to. The, the, this is this is a passion, and that's the only reason you should be in it. And everything else that comes with it, the the things that people see, oh, you get to travel, or you met that guy, or you had that band in your studio, or whatever. That's those are perks. Those shouldn't be the reasons you're doing it. That guy Nick who uh, came with me, mm. that's how he became Andrew Wade's intern and assistant we stole him from andrew but uh you bastards yeah well what can i say may the better man win but uh he uh but his whole goal he's from pittsburgh and andrew wade who's in florida he moved to florida to become andrew wade's assistant but he didn't know andrew wade yet he just decided that he's going to move and that could be creepy, yeah. except it's not in his case. And it happens, and it's creepy, and then you have to, like... It hasn't happened to me like that, but yeah. Yeah, and so, and so he decided... It has. Sorry, a Canadian guy stood outside and said he wanted to be my assistant, but he didn't move here for it, but it was weird. But, it, you know, it's it's just, if it happens... So what I mean. Creepy. It, can, it can go either way. Yeah. Uh, so with Nick, he decided he's going to do that, and so he... Enrolled in full sale, not because he wanted to go to full sale, but just so that his he was like eighteen or something, mm. so his parents would send him down there. And mm-hmm. he made friends with Andrew on Facebook and waited for an opportunity. The opportunity came up when Andrew was building his studio and he needed help, and so he put a public call out for people to come help, wow. like like build walls and stuff. And so yeah. Nick showed up, and then showed up again. And then showed up again, mm-hmm. and showed up again, and you know, after a few days, all the other helpers quit, but he just kept showing up, mm. which led to a job, yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. And for some reason, it wasn't creepy with him, probably yeah. because people Andrew recognized that there's something about him that's of course on the level. Yeah, probably that passion. Yeah, I mean, it was the same reason that we hired him to do video before he had ever done video in his life. Yeah. We figured that he would, I don't know, it was just in his personality. We figured that if we give him this position and train him, he'll get great at it. Yeah. And it worked. He didn't know fucking video at all when we hired him to shoot our stuff. It was just something about him seemed uh, right. And then I'm thinking about how it could go the other way, and it's like, I've had people... You have to be crazy, but you have to be the right kind of the crazy. The right kind of crazy. That is what it is. Yeah. Because you see that little, the good crazy yeah. in most of us. Because it is a crazy. Sure. Yeah. Of, of course it is. I mean, that's just how it is. But it's also about being... You know, it's going to sound like I'm fucking Jack Black, but you have to be a servant to the music. You have to be mm-hmm. like, you have you, you can't be king of music. You have to be slave to the music. You have to be willing to, at least for me, but to do this. And I, I sometimes I do lectures and, and workshops and clinics and shit. And I was at MI in Hollywood a year and a half ago. I'm going back there in October, actually, to do it again. Um, and I got 
questions, and I usually do on these things. I got the question like, "What's your what's your um, advice to us to do the thing you do, or you know, give us give us advice?" And I said, "The best advice is just prepare to, you know, you have to you have to sacrifice." And you have to sacrifice so much. And when I'm saying this, I know that most of you think that you know what it is, but you don't. But you have to look at yourselves and see what what can I sacrifice? What am I willing to sacrifice for a long time? Like food, money, girlfriends, boyfriends, uh, security, time, social life, all of that. And just do this. If if, If you realize that that's what it is, but that's usually what it is not for everyone but most of us it was like that for me for sure yeah and that you you need a bit of crazy to do that it's not a, just about us it's about everyone that is driven by passion to do something but Absolutely. you have to be crazy enough to sacrifice everything else you know what's interesting to me is did it feel like a sacrifice to you because it didn't to me no you just realize after you just do it but People have also asked, like, but if you if you would do it again, you would. Like, if you if if you had to do it again, you would. And I'm like, fuck no, never. It was. <laughs> I realize now how extremely tough it was, and I never I never had a plan B because I knew if if I go like if I have a plan B, I'm gonna go to plan B when it's tough. Yeah. So I, I made sure I didn't have a plan B. Because then uh, I could plan B. Yeah. If you have a plan B, it also means you're not trying hard enough on plan A. But now we're back to talking about the social security of Sweden and how that, you know. But it, I mean, yeah, it, you still have to. Well, the thing is, you might have the social security of Sweden, but Sweden can't buy you into the music industry. Yeah. Like Sweden can't give you True. a name or recording clients or talent or any of that stuff. And social security or not, the personal relationships and all that stuff that you have to sacrifice, no no government system is gonna save that for you, in my opinion. So Yeah, it's true. So there's still this huge human aspect of what you need to sacrifice to make it work, even if there's a bit of a financial safety net. But I just gotta say that for me the shit never felt like sacrifice. No. Until you realize after that it that was. it is, mm. it was, yeah. I but sac- you, it's more about knowing. Uh, I didn't feel like it was a sacrifice, but I knew I had to do it. Like it, there were some conscious steps, small steps, big steps, or decisions. Like, are you um, you want to go out tonight? No, <laughs> you know what are you doing this summer? Just recording. Yeah, but the thing is, or I you know, I, I, I like out. you. We should we should. Have it like, or it's more like it, it didn't work out. That's more how it was. Like, I I couldn't, I couldn't really do friends. I couldn't really do social life for a while because I had to focus on this bullshit. So uh, my first real girlfriend contacted me on Facebook from like twenty years ago. So I chatted with her and. I remembered her breaking up with me, but apparently I broke up with her and forgot about it. She said that I broke up with her and told her I just didn't have time for her. It's like the end. I had music to deal with when I was like 18 or 19 or something well, like that. Well, you did say you were a monster when you were young. Yeah, so I, I believe it. I'm sure I said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she said it. The, I don't know how I 
confused it and thought that she broke up with me mm. all these years. But apparently, that's what we do, though. Yeah, we change with things. memories. Yeah, it's weird. We change things around. Uh, but apparently, yeah, apparently, uh, I told her I just didn't. I just I had to focus on music right. and didn't have time for her. The end. Goodbye. But in other times in life, that can also be like your your best teammate. Mm-hmm. I've had that. Um, yeah, but that wasn't to, her. <laughs> huh? Yeah, but that wasn't her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that that was what I mean is that sometimes it's it's it can be both. Yeah, yeah, for but sure. Either way, it's still a sacrifice. Sometimes it's a sacrifice for two people. Mm-hmm. I, you know that that happens, but it, you you do it or you don't. The but. thing that's interesting to me though is that it never was a question though. Mm. Like, so the do you want to go out tonight? No. Yeah. It wasn't like oh I really want to go out, but I gotta practice guitar. Fuck. Yeah. It was like fuck no, I don't want to go out tonight. I yeah. gotta practice guitar. Yeah. Um, it was never it was never a question, and so. Whenever I see that it's a question for people, that makes me suspect of their intentions yeah. and how committed they are. Yeah. Because as far as I remember, it wasn't like it didn't feel like a sacrifice. Like you said, you figure it out later. But it was never like, God, I wish I could go to that party, but I have to do this fucking yeah, music it, instead. It can also, yeah, but it can be the big picture, you know. Yeah. Oh, I wish I, you know. You you see a, another kind of life. You see a life you could have, but you realize that it, yeah. But I want I want this. This is what I need. And you're back to you know Slatan and his running exercises. <laughs> well, hey, I mean you gotta. Life's a choice. You gotta you know whatever you choose that you want. There's something that comes with that. If uh, yeah. if you choose you want a normal life, you're not gonna get this one. Yeah, and so. that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. No, no, there is nothing wrong with it. But I think, you know, back to self-awareness, people should be non-delusional, should be aware of what it is that they want and what it is that they have to do in order to get there and where it is that they are in relation to what they want. Mm. That'll make, it's already hard enough. Like, so don't need to make it harder for yourself. Yeah. So w- at what point do you feel like, I guess you turn the corner or like... Uh, with what? Like with your career... Like, because, like you said, that now, now it's a lot easier to like make new relationships and get work. Of course. Yeah, of course. But did you ever? Where? Did, when do you feel like you turn the corner to where it? I, I. It's more like critical mass to where it started to the momentum started to carry itself. It's always corners. It's still corners. It's like leveling. Mm-hmm. You reach new levels, and you still do. And sometimes you even go down a level. That's how it is for everyone. Um, but there are these these part goals, and you, there's not really like you, you'll never reach it. But of course, it's a of course there's a critical mass. One critical. Well, sorry, the, the critical mass. Uh, to back to what you said earlier about either being in it. Mm. In the real music industry versus sure. wanting to be. Yeah, but that but, one. Yeah, but those are several. Mm-hmm. One is when you decide that you know you're, this is what you do. I decided when I was 15 that I'm going to work with music. And people went like, yeah, but everyone says that when they're 15. But to me, I knew that that's what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. Another, yeah. you know, turning a corner or, or, or a, a new level um, was my first paid job. 
even if it was shit pay and it was a shit job, it was actually a fun job. But um, I, I, that was a, that was a turning point for sure. Your first paid job by someone you don't know, mm-hmm. even if it's fifty bucks. Or uh, you know, fifty bucks and a pizza, which it wasn't, but you 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 get what I'm saying. Yep. Um, and you know, the next one was where I stopped doing other stuff. I dropped other stuff that I knew that I had to drop because I I wanted to focus on this thing. The next level would be yeah. Now it's all my income is from this, and that's just what you do. To me, it's not one corner; it's many corners. I agree with that. And levels. Interesting thing. Another uh, was when you don't like when I stopped—not stop, because stop, you should never stop—but when I didn't have to scout out every job that I got, but people started to contact me. That's kind of what I mean too. That's a big one. Yeah. That's a huge one, and that's like, and that all almost got me like now I'm, I hear from bands now. That say, yeah, we wanted to work with you, but we can't afford, you know, twelve hundred dollars a day. And I'm like, where did you hear that price? That's not what I like. That's not what I charge at all. And they're like, yeah, but that's what we heard. Yeah, but should just asked me. And some bands say <laughs> we wanted to work with you, but we, you know, your your you're we're we're not on your level and i'm like but that's for me to decide maybe i would have loved to work with you guys but you should call me or just you know write an email and i didn't even know you were existing until now when you just told me mm-hmm. so it can it, in a way it backfires on you when you get more successful but of course that was a big thing when when you know people started to get in touch and you didn't have to scout every job out. That's a that's a big turning corner. I know several people who have that problem that people decide that they're too expensive for them. Oh yeah. When they I, don't I even hear know it all the time. they don't even know what they charge. Yeah. I hear it all the time and it's stupid. <laughs> I, I wonder what causes it. <sighs> yeah. It's kind of weird. It is. It I don't know what the solution for it is either, but like I've actually heard this from quite a few people who um, are really sick producers and mixers who I'm sure people would love to work with. And the only reason they don't work with them is because they were afraid to contact them. Yeah. Because they thought, yeah, either this guy is out of our price range or we're, we're not good enough for him. Yeah, but that's not up to you to decide. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. Dude, I wanted Andy Sneap to to mix my band. Yeah. He wouldn't do it. But I found that out because I tried. Ex- yeah, <laughs> right. Colin Richardson did, though. But, so, got, yeah. so that worked. But, like, I tried hard to get Andy to do it. And he wouldn't do it. He didn't want to. Yeah, but then you know. Yeah, exactly. We were definitely not on his level. But... Let him say it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Totally. But it's not fine not asking and then be Assuming. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It's about the thing that we were talking about, the, the turning a corner or the critical mass Yeah, thing. how long did that take? Yeah, from what to what? Like from my first recording to when I was only doing this? Yeah. That's a long time. 
I did my first recording with my band in 97. Or if you, you know, if you count really shitty recordings, it was in 96. And I was quitting everything else in 2009. That's when I dropped. Then I've been uh, doing this for money for a long time. But that's when I dropped my final side income or side hustle or I dropped the last thing. Mm-hmm. It was a band I was in for, you know, we played for money and we, that was, I think that was the last side gig I had. So it was 2009? Yeah. You said? So, okay, so 97, 2009 12 is years. 12 years until you were full time. Right. And then full time. From is, the first shitty recording. Yeah. Okay. So that's a that's a big. I mean, yeah. That first, you know, what does this button do on this very basic mm-hmm. digital recording box? You know, that's a that's a big. It's a big gap. Yeah. But still, a gap that everyone needs to sure to uh, cross. Um, but then, in two thousand nine, were you full time and being sought out or? Because that's not always the same thing. Sometimes you're so, people are full time just because they hustle like crazy, but they're not yet at the point where right. people are seeking them out. Yeah, 2009, I was sought out as drum tech. Okay. Uh, I did a bunch of albums in 2009, actually, and but I was also sought out by like as in for my own studio. Mm-hmm. Um, not sought out like now, but also not just you know please come record with me so, so how long did it take from between 2009 until when you were 100% studio 100% sought out yes or yeah um i don't know a couple of years so you're looking but at but it's also i mean everything is uh, um relationships still like we yeah. talked about earlier in a way if i if i go out and have a beer and a band comes up, and they're like, dude, we worked with you on that thing four years ago. And you start talking to them, and it ends with they coming back to you. Did I seek the job out, or did they come to me? Or is it just, you know, having your relations up to date? I'm not sure. I, I mean, See? it all it all works together, but I think that there's a difference between... Being full time in your local scene versus having, like, say, people from other countries trying to find you. Yeah, it's also been. I mean, like I said, it's it's um, it's always moving, and it's always uh, always new levels. Like the level now is it's. I love going to other places mm-hmm. to work. That's that's a fun. Yeah, level that's been going for a couple of years. Like, yeah, we want to work with you. We can't afford to come to Sweden because we live in the States, but you can come over here. Sure. That was a cool one. That's great. Yeah. That was that was around the time around the time that uh I stopped producing to do what I'm doing now. Mm. I was kind of doing that a lot, like traveling to England or whatever to go produce. I thought that was really cool. That that was actually one of my goals was to get flown to other countries to to produce, and uh, and it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is a good time to end it because, uh, unfortunately, I have a flight at six a.m. and I gotta go pack. Damn. Yeah, but uh, it's been sick talking to you.
The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Jay-Z Microphones. For over a decade, Jay-Z Microphones has combined all the critical elements of world-class microphone manufacturing, patented capsule technology, precision electronics, and innovative industrial design. Jay-Z Microphones' deep understanding of technology is informed by their open-minded, innovative approach. Trust us, sound can be glorious. Recording. For more info, please go to jzmike.com. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.